Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grace, and I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today, man? I am tired. <laughs> Why are you so tired? It has been a long day. It has been a long day. Uh, there, there were some cards banned from Standard and Popper today. And oh, yeah, there was another announcement from Watsy today. Is, is, did you get so excited that you're all tuckered out? Uh, you could say that, yeah. Yeah, uh, I know that I am excited, and I think you and I and anyone who saw us on Twitter today definitely saw the excitement that we had because there's a brand new format in Magic the Gathering. When was the last time that, that happened? It's been, what, how many years has it been since Modern? A little over eight. Modern was made in July over. of 2011. Yeah, so um, we've got a new format. It's called Pioneer. And uh, do you want to tell the people a little bit about the uh, the brand new format that we're going to be playing soon? Yeah, so Pioneer is going to be non-rotating like Modern, uh, but it will only allow cards from Return to Ravnica and up. So that's uh, about seven years of cards, which is pretty similar to what Modern was when it was first announced. Modern was 2003 and up, so eight years of cards for them. Uh, and, you know, it's going to act pretty similarly. And so, you know, we've sort of, as a community, expected a format like this to come out for a, a little while. We had the, the historic format announced earlier this year, but with very little, you know, competitive support for it, there wasn't a lot of buzz around the, that announcement like there was for this one. I think, you know, Pioneer is going to be what, that, you know, next uh, sort of in-between format, the way Extended happened and then Modern gave way, or Extended gave way to Modern. And now we're going to have Pioneer. I don't think Modern is going anywhere. I think Pioneer and Modern will exist alongside each other. But uh, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about Pioneer being next to Modern, not the least of which being the incredibly wise decision to ban the Fetchlands. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big thing. And I, we're going to get into that in a second because I know you want to you talk about that for a little bit. But I think that actually helps the format a lot in a bunch of different ways. For for one, I'm a big fan is this format's going to be a lot more affordable than modern is in the past. I mean, like if you look at the average cost for a modern deck, you're looking at like four figures for a lot of them or like high, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Not to mention if you want to make your deck look really good and have like some foils or something involved. And I'm seeing decks that people are posting that are only like a couple hundred bucks. And this is a non-rotating format. So you might only have to get a few new cards every now and then to kind of advance your deck. So I mean, this is a good time to buy into a non-rotating format. You know, you don't have to buy into Legacy because, like, let's be real, this feels like another nail in the coffin of Legacy. And then, you know, you're going to have Modern now is, like, one of the more expensive formats. And now you've got this, like, in-between, which is which is pretty nice. Um, I think it's pretty cool that Watsi announced this today. It's kind of like they cast Healing Salve on everybody today. Yeah, you lost a card in Popper. You lost a card in Standard. Thankfully, it wasn't, like, a super expensive card, but you may have bought into, like, the Bant Golos deck and now... You just like have this deck. You're not really sure where it's going. You don't know what to do with your fields of the deads. Well, no one was talking about that after like the first 30 minutes on Twitter today. Because yeah, everybody was like, oh, look, the ban announcement happened. And then uh, myself and a couple other people like posted on Twitter. We were like, hey, this this announcement kind of got like the lead got buried. But this is this is a bigger this is way bigger news than than field of the dead getting banned. You know, we have Pioneer here. And I know, like I said earlier in the show, I'm going to say it a lot. I'm, I'm like super hyped. I don't know if you could hear it in my voice. I've been like running around all day, super excited. I went to my local store, picked up some singles and stuff that I needed or whatever. Um, I know you're super excited too, but there you mentioned it. And I, I want to hear why you're so excited about the Fetchland. I've been ranting about Fetchlands being a problem for years now. Uh, and I understand that, that you know, there's sort of the problem 
Fetchlands had a very similar problem in Legacy and Modern that Mishra's Workshop poses to Vintage, where such a huge portion of the format is embedded around the power of Fetchlands, the way Vintage is embedded around the power of Mishra's Workshop, that it would do too much damage to the integrity of the format to ban them because it would fundamentally reshape how they operate. Uh, and you know restructure how car which cards are playable and which cards are not playable so they have to keep them around and do so much work to manage the cards around them with mishra's workshop and vintage it's managing just low cost artifacts that have a reasonable effect uh and with fetchlands it's managing a whole host of things from death threat shaman to delve cards to landfall cards to uh, you know, any sort of, you know, graveyard enabler to any sort of dual land cycle that has the types attached that can potentially make the mana too good. Uh, so, you know, th there's just so much going on. And, and that's before getting to your earlier point, which I think it was really important about the cost of them. You know, they're so powerful. And we talk about, you know, the cost of maybe shock lands, which are less expensive and less ubiquitous. You know, it's fetch lands that are in the, all these mana bases in 8, 10, 12 copies and so they're the most expensive, you know, of these land cycles. And that creates an artificial barrier to entry that is unfortunate for modern and for legacy. Uh, you know, legacy has other issues, but in particular for modern. So what they've done here is they've started us with a very light ban list. If you recall, modern had a fairly heavy one. And it's taken some time getting cards off the ban list that haven't had a very big impact, whether it was Bitter Blossom, uh, you know, Sword of the Meek up until now hasn't had a big impact. Uh, um, Scapeshift is you know, a fine card, but nothing too uh, too too great. Or Valakit was the one that that came off the ban list. You know, most of the cards that they've unbanned have been okay. Ancestral Vision, another another example. So they were a little Jace, Bloodbraid Elf, yeah. Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, the list goes on. Yeah, they were a little too heavy handed with the original modern ban list, and uh, you know it was somewhat reasonable because it was right before Pro Tour. They didn't want the Pro Tour to be ruined, and Pro Tour ended up being heinous anyway because they missed a whole bunch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is, is understandable. It's a new format, and I'm sure they they'll there will be cards banned in Pioneer as well. We'll figure it out, uh, and things will be too good for the first you know six months to a year. Uh, so it'll take some time to settle in. But I think starting at the fetch lands reduces the the cost barrier to entry. You know, reduces time spent shuffling, which makes a better gameplay experience, and allows so many cards that otherwise would be far too powerful to exist in this format. You know, Death Threat Shaman in a format with Fetchlands would obviously be too good. Right now, I'm not even sure it's it gets borderline playable to me. I think certainly you have to work right. you have to work hard to make that card. Uh, good. It, yeah, absolutely. And that's a good thing. That means decks that are working hard get a really powerful payoff. That's what you want Magic right. to be. You know, you don't want it to be too easy. You know, how easy now is it to get cards in your graveyard for Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time and, and these Delve cards? We're gonna find that out, and and, and that'll be fun. And I, you know, a, a lot of these cards that seem like they're overpowered because we remember them existing in a format with Fetchlands are now going to exist under a completely different context. And that's going to both, you know, challenge the preconceived notions of entrenched players like you and me. It's also going to create excitement for people that maybe weren't around when these cards were dominant and have only mm -hmm. heard the legends of them. And now they get to actually experience yeah. them. Uh, and, and that's going to be fun. So, you know, the, the, the restriction of getting it's it's a restriction for people who've been around for a while getting rid of fetch lands we're so used to them uh you know the, i remember the first set of them was printed shortly after i started i started around odyssey they were first printed in onslaught so basically my entire competitive magic career has revolved around fetch lands and 
mine yeah, too this, yeah this will be the first time i'm really exploring a format without them and i'm excited to do it i think you know the challenge of building mana bases in the new format is going to be interesting and then the challenge of figuring out how good these cards that we think of as being broken but maybe aren't under this new context uh, and so that that's just that excites me as a deck builder and a player to see you know what i can come up with and what everyone else can come up with yeah to comment a little bit on what you were saying like you made some really good points and you said something i didn't think about like you know the new players coming in you know versus people like you and i who are more entrenched and they've heard like you know the legend of these things you know they've heard about Immercool, they've heard about death right shaman and like can you imagine the first time someone plays against death right shaman and pioneer and the card is just like okay like it's just fine and they're just like Man, what's the big deal? Like, why is this why is this banned in, in modern and in legacy? I don't get it. You know, <laughs> like it it didn't really do that much of a game. It like, you know, hit me for two and then it was just a one, two, and I killed it. You know, like you get what I'm saying? Like, they're not gonna understand how powerful this card was and how format defining but this they, card was. Like, I owe so much of my career to that card. But, but they are gonna get that a taste of it. You know, sometimes when they're the mm-hmm. deck's draw does come together and they do get the consistent right. use it as a mana creature, and then after they've gotten ahead because of it. You know, they're going to start exiling cards in their graveyard and dealing damage or gaining life and doing all the other things that Deathrite Shaman does. They're going to see it, but they're not going to see it every single game. So it's not going to wear thin. It's going to be exciting when it works, and it's going to be good that it doesn't work so easily. So, like, I, I, yeah, I just really like the the point you made. It just feels like we're going to have very powerful cards in this format, which is okay, right? We're going to have Ember Cool. We're going to have Dig Through Time. We're going to have, you know, Treasure Cruise. But you have to go through more hoops to make them good. They're not like they were in their day where you were just rewarded for playing magic so much by using fetch lands and stuff. Because let's be real, if fetch lands were illegal in this format, every deck would have uh, blue fetch lands in it and would just have treasure crews. You know, you'd have to have like a very strong army to not have treasure crews or dig through time in your deck, period. You know, because your mana base would just have it. And now, you know, you and I will we'll touch on it later in the show. We tried to make a bunch of decks earlier today and the mana bases were difficult. You know, from time to time, we were like, w- which lands do we play? Do we play check lands? Do we play, you know, we obviously were playing dual lands, but do we play these check lands, those check lands, you know, the battle lands, the shadow lands, like which ones do we play? So I am super excited about a new format that is like, quote unquote, old, because you're getting to like mix these cards together, you know, that you have all these memories of from the last, you know, seven years or whatever, or have you. And you're, you're going to try them, try them out with like, you know, some new little pieces of spice here, some little pieces of spice there. You know, you you actually said it perfect earlier, and I'm, I'm going to steal the phrase from you. You said a lot of people are thinking about this format as modern light, and it should be more thought of as standard heavy. Yeah. And I think that's just nailing the head, like just hitting the nail right on the head. But it's perfect because like. I think my first foray into the format, and you know, we talked about this a lot today. The the ways people should be, you know, going at this is think about all the broken standard decks you've played over the last couple of years, and the cards that really shined, and then go from there. Because like when you start with stock lists, and then kind of you know tailor them to how what's going on in the format, that's when you start to get to really powerful decks, and I think that's what we're going to see here. Yes. And in particular, I think if, if you were a tournament player over these years, you need to think about what cards were dominating standard over the summer when standard was big, because that's when it's going to be closest. To what, that's a really good point uh, to what Pioneer is. You know, when standard is small, things can feel more like a block constructed format, pretty underpowered. And, you know, certain things that have the tools already in the early sets will rise to the top. But when all of these synergies of a block or, of, you know, overlapping sets are all existing together and the formats at its largest you know what was doing well then towards the end of 
RTR Theros standard, Mono Blue wasn't doing that well because the red decks got really good after Goblin Rabble Master and Stoke the Flames were printed. And so the, the red matchup for Mono Blue wasn't a slam dunk anymore. And that was a problem for that deck. Is the red matchup not a slam dunk anymore, uh, you know, in Pioneer? Because you're probably not playing main deck Tidebinder Mage in your Mono Blue Devotion deck. So your red matchup is going down. They're, pro- you're, they're probably playing Legion Loyalist in a lot of these red decks. So your Master of Waves aren't going to be as reliable. That was another issue for the Rabble Red versus Mono Blue matchup. So that could be an issue for just for one example. But the, that's the kind of thing that you have to be thinking of from your history. You know, the, the, what contexts existed before, they're, they're going to be different now. But you've got to get as close as you possibly can if you're going to use that prior knowledge in, to any degree. And the, the yeah, and that's a great point. So if you're like relatively new to Magic and you've come in the last couple of years and you've never actually interacted with a lot of these cards before, go make some friends of people who've been uh, who've been playing at your you know your LGS yes. for the last you know seven years. You know, guys, guys, you guys and girls who've been invested in standard or like early modern and stuff at this time because they're going to have a wealth of knowledge that you can take from. You know, they've played with these decks, they've played with these cards and played but against the, them. On the other hand, their experience might bias them. So if it's a double-edged sword. That's true. You know, if they think like, oh, this card was great and you could never lose in this matchup, but the context changes. I've stressed in my writing and I talk about it on Versus uh, a lot. You know, magic is all about context. We've seen cards that were really good in certain contexts and they get reprinted in another standard environment and they're not good. We've seen vice versa. And... I don't think I've ever seen a more seismic shift in the context of how, you know, magic works than in this format where we're not going to have fetch lands. So we're really going to have to reevaluate these cards. We're going to have to start a little bit more ground up. We're going to use some of our, you know, prior knowledge. I think, you know, you're going to want to use the skeleton of the way things are built. So like when I think about a mono blue devotion deck, to use that example again, I'm going to want to go back and look at, you know, what was their land ratio? What was their curve like? You know, can I lower that a little bit? Can I raise it a little bit if I want to uh, based on the new tools? And then, you know, fill it in with some of the more powerful uh, tools that exist now. You know, do you want Merfolk Trickster in your Mono Blue Devotion deck and Harbinger of the Tides instead of Frostburn Weird and Tidebinder Mage? Do you want a different three drop instead of Nightvale Spectre? Maybe something like Brazen Borrower to give yourself a little bit more interaction. Uh, You know, things like this, you can ask, you can ask yourself, but you're going to want to borrow from those skeletons to start as as long as we're in this wild west phase but you're not going to want to you know remain you know tied to the past too much no absolutely that's that's another really good point and you know ross i was um when i saw this announcement today um i i've i've seen your house like i've I've been to where you live and i've seen your magic cards and you're you're kind of the same way i am i I don't really get rid of my magic cards like i do you know (laughs) little things here or there but i'll tell you um, I saw Brian Gottlieb tweet about this today and a bunch of other people. I've never been so happy to be a pack rat. And yeah, the pun is intended here for all you uh, mono black fans uh, out there. I've never been so happy that like I've just been lazy about getting rid of my cards from standard because boy, does it feel bad, right? When a set rotates or you're getting so close to it that, you know, your cards all of a sudden go from like $7 rares to like a $1 or $2 rare if you're lucky and you can't really get anything for them because they're not going to be in standard anymore and they're just not un- powerful enough to make it into, into modern, right? And they're not a commander staple. So like, they're not going to be worth that much. And I've got this stuff in uh, in my office. I have a closet. And inside this closet is all my magic cards and this like little dresser that I have in there. And uh, Ross was actually listening to me earlier today. I was getting excited like a little kid because I went in there and I pulled out a drawer that I hadn't really gone into in a while. And I just found like every land in this format, like all the check lands, <laughs> the enemies, enemy creature lands, like just all of it. Because 
I was too lazy to get rid of this stuff or try to make, you know, a couple of bucks back at the end of the format. So I'm pretty happy about that. I'm not going to have to go out and get too many things. I mean, there's definitely going to be some rares or mythics that I don't own. Yeah. My reasoning was always, you know, I used to be that kind of person that tried to unload cards that were rotating in standard. Eventually, I realized that, you know, if I was going to keep playing them up until rotation, the drop in price had already happened. It would happen months before. So, you know, I had already missed the window and I couldn't get rid of them too early because I needed them to play tournaments. So if I was going to miss that window, I might as well hold on to all of them and then just hope some of them spike. And that makes up for the you know drop in price for all of them. Now, a lot more of them are going to go back up. You know, I got a set of Mutavaults. Those don't see a lot of play in modern. I've got I don't get rid of mm-hmm. lands ever because they always get reprinted. Right. So I've got a lot of the lands that exist in this format. I've got heroes downfalls. I've got, you know, you know. I don't know. I don't know what I have, actually. I know I have Coursers of Crufix. That's going to be a nice one. I'm going to have to go through my entire collection and sort everything, which honestly, like, yeah. I should have done anyway, because I, like you said, you've seen my apartment. It's worse now. You know, there's this pile, there's oh, piles God. everywhere. I have, a new, I, have a, I have a new end table. I got when Todd moved out to uh, California. I took one of the end tables out of their house, and that that's already okay. covered in cards. I've only had it for two months. <laughs> you know, the coffee table still covered. I've got boxes in my bedroom. I've got sealed boxes of Board of the Gods and Journey into Nyx I've been sitting on for years. You know, well, there you go. If you need some, now. well, you might need some cards out of it. You might need some, you know, yeah. sh- shrine to Nyxes, you know? Yeah, maybe, maybe Brimaz is good in Pioneer. It was never good in Standard. Hey, hey, you, you watch your mouth, all right? Brimaz was not good. Okay, yeah, you're probably right, but uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't play too much. Still not good. You know, uh, just just for another little thing, a little tidbit for just so everybody at home can get kind of like a little a little glimpse into our lives. Every time I every time I've ever been to Ross's place, you know, I, I did kind of make a allusion to the fact that he's it's just covered in magic cards. I do my part to help out. I steal something every time I'm there. <laughs> I always steal like a deck box or something. Like I have a I'm looking over at all the deck boxes I have on my um, on my floor right now because I have everything kind of piled out, and one of them just has your name on it. It just says Ross yeah. Miriam on it. I kind of thought that my coffee table had fewer deck boxes on it than it used to, but I yeah. never really like, you know, thought too much into it. And you know, the, you know the the bigger boxier uh, Ultimate Guard Star City game deck boxes, the folding ones are like yeah. black with the white. Yeah, I have multiple of those of like the sticker on it that says Ross Merriam that they gave you at the. They I just I just steal one every time I'm there. Yeah, that when SCG used to run limited Grand Prix, they used right. to, if, if you pre-registered, that's what your pool came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a couple of those, and I, I, I proudly portray them at events. Every time I get the look, you know, like I'll be at like a, an LGS or something, I'll just like I'll put the deck box on the table, and they'll read it, and they'll look at me, and they'll give me like this the little, you know, they'll squint their eyes or whatever, and they're like they get the questionative, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm friends of Ross Merriam. What, what, what of it? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the unlucky one here, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but so you know, I'm super excited about that. I, you know, what uh, you were talking about the cards that you do own. Um, I did go through some of my stuff today, and I remembered. Because I, I had a moment of panic when I saw something today. Uh, recently, I was going to get rid of my Jace Vryn's po- prodigies. Like somebody wanted to trade for them or buy them or something. And I ended up just like not doing it because I'm lazy or like the new show up or whatever. Have you seen the price of that card? Uh, ooh, I actually own four of those. I think they're back to like 50s a piece. Yeah, that's a good card. I don't think it's going to stay there. Here, here I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I actually, um, I don't know when we're going to do it, but I do think within the the, uh, the next couple episodes of our show that I do actually, uh, I might try to get an MTG finance type person on the show and talk to us about like the financial ramifications of this set and like, you know, blah, 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 like what's going to happen with Pioneer. That way you can kind of like, you know, get some, maybe some tricks of the trade on like, you know, how to get your collection built up a little bit easier, a little bit better, you know, where to save your money, where to invest kind of thing. But I will say this. 
a lot of the cards that are spiking right now that are going super high, that, that number is going to come back yeah. down. There's, there's not going to be too many that are going to be like a pure meteoric rise. There, there will be a handful of those, but not many. Yeah, there, yeah, there's going to be a few, and then they're probably going to get banned. This <laughs> is the sad thing, you know. If there's a, if there's a huge thing where like every deck needs three or four Emrakuls, those are going to be you know forty or fifty a piece, and then let's be real, that card's not going to survive, you know. And I tell you what, let's let's actually let's actually talk about that. We're, we're going to have that later in the show, but let's go ahead and just move into that since we're talking about Emrakul and some of these cards. There's a lot of cards that spent their time or spent a good bit of their time in standard not being legal that are legal in this format. Um, you said you had a list of them, right? Yeah, cards that were either banned in their standard format or banned in modern at some point. Uh, so we've got Aetherworks Marvel. You know, I I don't know how what like new stuff goes into a deck like that because you need all you need so many energy cards. Uh, mm-hmm. But if there's any sort of green cantrip that can help dig for Marvel, Emery can cast it from the graveyard if that's a thing. That's pretty big, actually. Uh, yeah, so th- there might be a few upgrades here or there, but that deck will stay relatively the same. But it's going to do really powerful things. It's going to be casting Ulamogs and Emrakuls on turn four. So yep. you know, that's a thing you have to be aware of. So a lot of the other energy cards attuned to the Aether, Rogue Refiner, uh, you know, similar issues. Yeah, all cards also banned. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dark Still Citadel. That one was reprinted in M14, which is the first core set that's uh, in Pioneer. So if we have any artifact-centric you know, decks, they can still play Dark Soul Citadel, which is nice. Uh, Deathrite Shaman, we talked about that one earlier. You know, you're know, you going to have to work for this one. There is Fabled Passage. That helps a little bit. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm willing to put in the work because I miss that little guy so much. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of ways to put cards in your graveyard. You know, oh, We mentioned mm-hmm. Jace Fern's Prodigy. That can loot extra lands into your graveyard. We've got Grizzly Salvage, you've got Stitcher Supplier, uh, you know, p- plenty of things to do that. But th- this not, it's not going to be the card that it was in Legacy because it's not going to be a reliable turn three or turn two make three mana. It's not going to be that kind of mana right. creature. It's going to be more like I play this on turn one, I play my enabler on turn two, then I get an extra mana on turn four and maybe another additional mana on turn five or turn three and turn four. Uh, so but that's still going to be good because it's also, you know, a graveyard hate against those decks and, you know, everything else that Deathrite Shaman does. So uh, I'm excited to see just how powerful it is, you know, when you put in a little bit of effort for it. We've got the Delve cards, Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise. I think these are going to be staples of the format. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if your deck can cast them, you're going to be trying very hard. And I'm, I'm pretty, I mean, we can go in deeper at some point in time because we're actually going to talk about what we think are going to be pillars of the format. Um, I am excited that there's only like one other real blue cantrip in this format with opt. You know, we don't just have like, you know, opt preordain, ponder, you know, yeah. all like all these things that just, you know, replace themselves and go to the graveyards. It's not like you're, you know, spending too much. You're going to have to work a little bit harder for these cards. So I'm excited about you know, that. To, to talk about what, you know, all of our excitement earlier in the day, as our viewers can probably guess, I was building some Is It Spells decks. And I, I commented to use, man, I would kill for a Thought Scour. Just a Thought Scour. Tannen's response was, you do yeah. not want Thought Scour anywhere near this format. No, you really don't. It would mess up so many things. Like, the blue the blue cards just wouldn't be legal. Like, you just could not have them be legal. So no, 100% agree. So j- just opt, but, you know, opt, good removal, take their time. That, that'll that'll do good things still. Uh, we have Emrakul, the promised end. You know, how, do we, how best do we enable Delirium? You know, the decks, mm-hmm. decks back in standard, we're playing Vessel of Nascency. Is that still the best option? I mean, is a Grizzly Salvage better? You know, uh, how can we get different card types? You know, there are de- various Planeswalkers we can play. For an Assault Thy Shell, we can play Oko. We can play things from War of the Spark. 
you know, you can play Corsair Crufix. That's an enchantment. Gets you some extra value. Good in a mid-range shell like those decks were. So, mm-hmm. you, know, st- you know, Traverse the Ulven Wald is a really powerful card. Uh, and a nice mana fixer in a format without fetch lands as well in the early game. So I'm sure that's important. I'm sure, figuring out the best way to Emerkel people will be, you know, something to work on and something that will be rewarding in the early days of the format. Uh, moving on, we have Felidar Guardian. How do how do we play our Splinter Twin combo? Yeah, and that one's the one one of the ones that I'm really worried about in this Agreed. format is like Agreed. that one can definitely be gatekeeping kind of you know as in like you can't really have fun. You'd have to play, play a deck that either can beat this one before it gets set up, or can can do something about it at all times. Yeah, you know, make, and make sure your deck yeah. can answer this combo. You know, there are some colorless answers. There's yeah. Sorcerer's Spyglass. There's Pithing Needle. There's Walking Ballista is a really important one. Yeah, I think Walking Ballista is going to be a very played card in the format, but if that if that deck's popular. Yeah, but if you're if you think your Fatal Pushes are going to be killing Felder Guardian, you don't have Fetchlands, so maybe not. Yeah, you're going to be like real careful with your Fabled Passage slash Evolving Wilds type, of, type effects against that deck if you're going to be relying on Fatal Push. So yeah, I think figuring out Feller Guardian will be important in two ways in the format. One, figuring out the shells that it's best in. And two, it'll it'll warp what removal sees play because you're going to need to have a healthy number of answers to a 1-4 by turn four. Yeah, and I mean, not to mention, I mean... The card is just good on its own a lot of spots too. Like the deck around it is going to be built with like a whole bunch of things that do stuff when they come into play. Yeah. So if you're just trying to stop the combo, they're going to grind you out really hard as well. As we saw when the deck was in standard, it was so hard to beat the deck because it could check you as early as like turn four and sometimes turn three with like, you know, if it had a ton of acceleration or something like that. If you have something like, God forbid, you have like Gilded Goose into that, into like, I don't know, some other stuff, you know, like there, I'm sure there's draws. Yeah. I mean, uh, land where else and, and stuff. And if you recall in that standard format, when Felidar Guardian was about to be released, Reflector Mage was banned shortly before. So those two cards never existed in the same standard format, despite being printed near each other. Oh, that's true. They're going to exist in this wow. format. Yeah, and speaking of another card in the list that, you know, we we get Reflector Mage and this is a card it's it's kind of like one of the more innocuous ones on the on the ban list, right? But damn is this card annoying to play against. Yeah, annoying to play against not only with Felidar Guardian but with another card that we will get to when we talk about pillars of the format in Collected Company. Yeah, that one's real messed up. Like that that card's going to be played a lot in this format as well. We got Field of the Dead recently banded standard. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, um, Escape Shift that, Teferi still around in this format. So that was something I saw a lot of people talking about. They they could they could play, look, if you lost your Bant Golos deck, right, and you just loved it, like you want to keep playing it, you can play it in this format and it's still good. Like, you know, you might change up a few cards here or there, but like Escape Shift Field of the Dead is still a powerful thing. And I don't know if you've seen people talking about this, but there's been some inklings of uh, Escape Shift Maze's End in this format i've seen some people talking about that um i have i don't know if you've known this but i'm going to be really unhappy if mazes in is another thing because generally the decks that i like to play don't beat decks like mazes in <laughs> and i actually need to find the clip and if i can find the clip i'll put it in the show notes for one of the uh for the show when we put it up i have lost a mazes in on camera at an SCG open. I've never lost a Maze's End in my life. It's real embarrassing, but I'll tell you this. I was playing blue-white, do-nothing control. And you know what matchup is horrible for you? A deck that just plays lands. Yep. I just died very badly. <laughs> it was not fun, and they put me on camera, and I was not happy about it. So that one, that one's just there forever. Yeah, and if you want to play these like awkward ramp decks with 
Field of the Dead, there's enough different dual lands that you don't have to resort mm-hmm. to playing Gates and yep. the other awkward lands. You can play solid dual lands and spread out your uh, you know card names enough to enable Field of the Dead. So that, that's a significant upgrade to the deck's mana base. You're just not going to have as many ETB tap lands. Really mm-hmm. important. Also, your Sweeper just got upgraded to Supreme Verdict. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah, Do I want that? I think that's another thing that people need to understand. We could talk about that in the Pillars of the Format too. Is just like the removal is going to be a little bit better overall. You know, you're not at like modern level where you have like lightning bolt and like all these soup and like path to exile, but overall the removal is going to be better in this format than, than a little bit better than like your traditional standard. Yeah. No, we've got to figure out exactly where it lies. You know, it's obviously we're more powerful than standard, less powerful than modern, you know, where in that large space does, uh, you know, pioneer exist. So that's going to be one of the major questions in the early part of the format and one that hopefully we get a chance to answer. You know, I don't know yeah. when the first time I'm going to get to play a paper Pioneer tournament is, but I am excited. I got, yeah, like, I'm like literally ready for it now. Like yeah. I, I'll put a deck together and play tomorrow. I know you get to actually play tomorrow, but yes, I will be playing on versus live and I'm, oh man, it's going to be great. Yeah, I was going to say, most of these people will probably be listening to the show after Versus Live goes live tomorrow, so you can watch the uh, the, 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 the VOD of that yeah, on Twitch. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know, if we get this out early tomorrow morning, maybe someone can listen to this and then watch. You usually go uh, 1 Eastern, right? Yeah, 1 Eastern on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, I remember the, the early days of Modern. You know, I played that first Modern Pro Tour, uh, and then the first pro, uh, PTQ season was modern starting that like January or so. And by the time the PTQ season started, they had banned a lot of the powerful cantrips. They had banned Rite of Flame to stop the really the storm decks. They'd banned Cloud Post. And then they had banned Wild Nakatl and Red Shoal, maybe? Yeah, they yeah. banned Disrupt uh Blazing Shoal. So they banned Blazing Shoal, they yeah. had banned the most egregious cards and then for some reason banned Wild Nakatl and Punishing Fire. Uh, <laughs> uh because, you know, seven i think punishing fire needed to go by the way that that card's not okay but anyway continue yeah i'll agree on punishing fire but wild nakatl literally just got banned because seven pros refused to test the format and just registered the same counter cat deck like four times in a row and watsi was like i guess nobody can ever play a non wild nakatl deck if they're green so we have to ban this card and it was common uh but eventually got unbanned and has been largely unplayable since I, every time I see the card, I'm still so I'm like, oh yeah, that card's legal. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot, you know, kind of thing. So the the main point here is that that first modern PTQ season was a blast. And you know what deck I played? I played what was that? Esper Delver. Uh, what? <laughs> Look, I, I like Delver decks, but what? It was a deck that Jeremy Neiman, former Australian pro, wrote about on StarCityGames.com in 2011. Just a brew of his. And I was like, this deck is sweet. I'm playing this deck. <laughs> and it was God. it was Delver of Secrets, Remand. Uh, I'm not sure if it had Dark Confidant. It might have. Lingering Souls. I remember Souls. It played two sort of Feast and Famine. Uh, like no stone for you know, I remember Famine. this deck now. Have you ever, oh, I remember have this you ever equipped Sword of Feast and Famine to a creeping tar pit? No, because why would you ever do that? Just <laughs> That's so much mana. Yeah, but then you get it all back, and they can't block. I know, I know. Oh, that deck was a blast, Uh, you know. I I think the reason I'm hating on this a little bit more is because, like, the thought of you playing a tempo deck just, like, makes my skin crawl. But, like, you probably played it fine back then. I think it's way past your your prime of the the tempo decks lately, though. Yeah, I'm hating on you. Yeah, just just took second place with Mono Blue, like, two months ago. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just giving you shit. (laughs) You know... 
uh, just because I don't play them in Legacy, Tannen. You know, I, I like to play my tempo decks without uh, free counter spells because that's just cheating. It's okay. too easy then. Fair. You know, fair. I actually yeah, have to fair. decide okay. when I get to tap out for my threats. You, you just get to do it with impunity. Yeah, that that that's fair. That's fair. Sorry. Anyway, continue your rant about Esper Delver. <laughs> I, I'm done. The deck was not good, but it was super fun, and I really enjoyed that format, even though I did not do a lot of winning. I'm trying to remember the first modern deck I played. I think I played the like Callblade decks that didn't have Jace because Jace was banned, and you like held on to the fact that Callblade was still good. I think it was like you played like actual factual Squadron Hawk with uh, Mortipod and. You know, just some other. It was, it was not good. <laughs> also, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It might have been the last extended event I ever played in. I can't, I can't remember because they kind of blend together. You know, they were like very similar formats at the time. Yeah, and we still were. It was still brand new. We didn't know what was going on, and that's the point I'm trying to make. This is brand new. We don't know what's going on. Like we know, we know cards are powerful, right? We're like, yeah, this card is powerful, but then it's like, you, you know, how many times in standard? When you look at new new formats or you, when you look at new sets, you're like, this card is very good. It's very powerful. And then it just like never really finds its footing. You know, it never really finds a deck that takes advantage of it. It doesn't match up well against what other people are doing. And we don't know that yet. And I'm excited to get through that. Like, I'm excited to go through the growing pains of yes, magic. Exactly. And I'm really yeah. looking forward to the growing pains. Just. Yeah. And like, that's the fun part, right? That's what, that's what challenges you as a player. You know, like. Also, it's it's one of the most rewarding times too, right? Because if you get it right, like if you have your deck geared, you know, the right way, you have the right cyborg cards, the right plan for, for this matchup, the right plan for that matchup, like you know how to pivot here, you know how to pivot there, you're going to do really well in the first couple of events because you're going to be so far ahead of people. So this is like a brewer's paradise and like the kind of person who like prepares really well and has a very like very good approach to the format, they're all going to be super far ahead. So I'm going to be super far behind because I'm good at none of these things that I just mentioned. So I'm I'm looking forward to losing a lot, actually. So I'm uh I, I'm I'm super excited to see if I can you know get out of the rut with that. I have you and Brennan to help me out a lot. You know we chat a lot and I do ingest a lot of magic content. Like I'm going to be glued. I'm I'm not happy that y'all are doing um that y'all are doing this tomorrow already on the stream because. I got stuff to do, man, and I'm not going to be able to turn this off. And let's be real. I'm not going to get my, my, I'm not going to be able to get anything done whatsoever. I'm going to go like pop some popcorn and get like a root beer or something and just like watch this and just, you know, sit at my, sit at my desk and like, I'm going to be going through all my cards and brewing while you guys are doing this. I, I can't wait to watch it. Honestly, I'm just so excited. There's 21 more hours in the day. You know, you'll be fine. It's only three. Yeah. It'll be okay. Yeah. I guess I guess I'll be all right. Yeah, yeah we got two right. more yeah. cards I want to talk about on this list of sure. banned cards. One, oh, we we tangented really well there. One was Nexus of Fate, which was banned in Best of One Arena Standard. Okay, sure. Uh, but I think with Dig Through Time, you know, that's a really good card for a, a Nexus of Fate style deck. All I'm saying is, is like, can you imagine someone has Wilderness Reclamation play, like puts the trigger on the stack, casts Dig Through Time for two mana, and then finds Nexus of Fate, like. Or finds two of them. Uh, uh, I'm having I'm having like PTSD flashbacks right now. Yeah, of that because that that sounds like something good to do. And the Nexus decks are pretty good at filling up their graveyards, right? Like you've got Search for Escanta, Tamio. You know, you've got Tamio if you want. You've got Opt. You've got any form. You have actual factual fog. You know, we had like two and three mana fogs. Actual factual one green mana fog 
is is legal. Yeah. So you know, I'm that I'm sure Dylan Hand is already in his you know, uh, I, I don't know where he brews decks, but wherever it is, he does that. He is. Uh, He's already got his four mountains ready, sleeved up with the words Nexus written across them. Exactly. Uh, clutching <laughs> them like Gollum. Yeah, <laughs> my precious. But yeah, I look. There are certain decks I I don't like playing against. That's definitely one of them. But it's gonna be cool to see if they get it right, right? Because like if they don't get it right, that deck's gonna be really bad. Yep. You know, like you're gonna play it in a tournament. Because you remember when when Nexus first came out, I actually enjoyed playing against it at tournaments before they like really optimized the deck because it was just bad. It was like almost like a free win. You know, their deck just wasn't very good. You know, and so like we have to see if people get it right because like. What if Fog just isn't really good in the format? What if like there's not many decks that are actually like attacking yeah. you? What if instead you, know? you play Cyclonic Rift? I don't know. Float my mana on yeah. tap. Okay, you have no board. <laughs> yeah, you have no permanent, so they're in your lands. Good luck. That, and good? yeah, and then put like yeah, and like that's what I'm saying. Like, what if you just play against like Aetherworks Marvel every round? They're just gonna Emrakul you and Ulamog you, and you don't interact well with that. You know, like you're you're trying to cast this seven mana instant. You know, so. I don't know. And uh, you said there was one more. One on the more. List? And I think one of the most interesting, actually, and I'll explain why. This mm-hmm. is Smuggler's Copter. Okay. Because we never got to really play it. Or one, This was a card that I bought a set of on release weekend for $60, and I still own them. Okay. So yay me. Mm-hmm. I still have mine. Yeah. Two, this card was very obviously too powerful in its standard format. And it's because it's just such a, a great rate. And there were so many easy ways to crew it. Uh, so every single aggressive deck ended up playing four copies, and no aggressive deck mm-hmm. that didn't play them could contend with the ones that did. But that kind of you know, war- uh, that kind of warping effect happens much more readily in a smaller format. What we're going to see, hopefully, in Pioneer, is decks that are syner- so synergy driven that they don't want a card like this because it doesn't fit their synergies and their synergies are powerful enough that they can contend even at the card's insane rate with decks that play it and so on. So I think we're going to see Smuggler's Copter, or I hope, I should say, we'll see Smuggler's Copter fit nicely into the format as a very good aggressive option. I think we will. Especially if you can, you know, make synergies with artifacts or make synergies with the loot effect, you know, with uh, a Flameblade Adept, for example, or with Madness. You know, you could Madness Fiery Tempers with this uh, pretty easily like they were doing in Standard. Uh, So... You know, there's plenty of things to do with it. You can enable graveyard synergies. You can be discarding your uh, your blood soaked champions and your uh, you know whatever yeah, a million dead. different creatures yeah. that come back from the graveyard yeah. uh, cards with flashback, anything like that. So there's a lot of uh, you know synergy to be enabled with the card, but it's also just a really powerful option for aggressive decks. Uh, I, and I'm I'm excited to play with it again because I love I love getting aggressive. You know, and I got to agree with you. Like, I think it's going to be really cool because we're going to see cards that maybe to get to showcase their power actually showcase their power here. Like you said, we might see this card really get to get to shine. But also, like, you know, you think about it, like when I started thinking about it immediately, I was like, oh, no, Smuggler's Copter is legal and Bolt is not. But then you start thinking about, oh, we've got Fatal Push. Oh, we've got a Braid. I think a Braid is going to be a very, very played card in this format and very good. You know, you're going to have stuff that can kill it on parish with its main account or a little bit better. Plus, like, you know, the card is very easy to crew. Like, pretty much any creature on the format can crew it other than, like, Jace's Friends Prodigy that I've seen people are wanting to play. So you're going to get to see this card actually do its thing. And I think it's going to be fine. Like, like you said, like, when it was in Standard, especially in, like, the smaller form, this thing was in, like, it just wasn't fair. You know what I mean? Like, 
why why does it loot when it blocks? Like, I mean, there's just all there's just so many questions about all of it. But you know, we're gonna see this, and I think we're gonna see Heart of Kieran too as well. And you're gonna see some like aggressive decks with these two mana, uh, uh, these two mana uh, vehicles. I'm gonna say equipment vehicles that are very uh, aggressive because like, can you imagine going um, either one of these and like you're able to crew them into Teferi? Like three mana severe or three mana Oko. Heart of Kirin with those, I think, is incredible. You know, Oko so much right. loyalty I mean, like, to give to Heart of Kirin. Yeah. And Teferi, like, you know, with Heart, you're often sitting there with your removal spell, like, holding up mana, like, okay, crew it, then I'll fatal push it, and they're just like Teferi, crew it, and that you, your mana is yeah. wasted. They're, you're getting attacked for four. You know, if you play something, they can bounce it. That you're it, that's a nightmare. I think that's actually one of the, the nightmare things you're going to see in this format, especially early when people aren't figuring out how to, you know, what to do. And a lot of times in early formats, you see the aggressive decks be very popular and just very good because if you stumble at all, the aggressive deck's going to win. And that's like a nightmare scenario, right? Like they play a hard fear and into its fairy, and you're like, oh, I was, I was going to kill that. I was going to fatal push that. You know, I was, I was going to do something, and now you can't even cast your card. And the Teferi can just keep, you know, plussing and, and feeding the the thing until that turn where you do need to bounce something. But then your Teferi's still around, and you can still crew the Copter if you want. I mean, the Copter, the 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 Heart of Cure, and if you want to. So, yeah, that one's kind of scary. Even like I thought about Oko. Like, here's the thing: if you have like Oko with Smuggler's Copter, like if worse comes to worse, like you can just still make it a three three. Like if you just have nothing to crew it with. You know, there's just so many like little little things that you know we haven't seen these cards interact together because they yes. weren't meant to. You know, and now we're going to get to see it happen for the first time. So this is going to be some pretty yes. cool stuff. You know, as much as we're excited about exploring everything and looking into all these decks that we used to play years ago, updating them, finding fun cross synergies between blocks that never existed together in standard, ultimately there are going to be some cards that rise to the top. And those are going to be, the, yeah, those are going to be the pillars of the format. And that's what we're going to move to next. Uh, talking about when, you know what we think those pillars are going to be. And from my side, when I think about pillars of the format, I always think about the premier cheap spells. You know, when you think about the cards that have defined modern over the years, it's the Faithless Lootings, the Ancient Stirrings, the Mox Opals, the Noble Hierarchs, the Lightning Bolts. It's all one mana and zero mana cards. And when I think about the best one mana cards in this format, I think about Elvish Mystic and Llanowar Elves in green decks. I think about Fatal Push and Thoughtseize in black decks. I think about Monastery Swift Spear in red decks. And I think about actually opt in blue decks. No, I think opt's going to be really important. Yeah, I don't know if opt will be a pillar of the format, but it'll certainly be a staple. You know, when you talk about pillars, I'm thinking Swift Spear, Mana Creatures, and Thoughtseize. I think Thoughtseize is, it might just be the most powerful card. Well, maybe not the most powerful card in the format, but maybe the most powerful interactive card in the format. Yeah, I think Thoughtseize is going to be a huge winner in, the, in this format, if that, if that makes sense. You know, you're going to see this in a lot of decks. And a lot of decks are going to lean heavily on it as like, you know, their way to like create a window to kind of get ahead of you, you know, make sure that they get to resolve a certain spell that matters or they take, you know, the, the, the Feldar guardian from you. So your hand doesn't function that well, you know, you're missing that piece of your combo, what, what have you, I think Thoughtseize is going to be huge in this format for sure. And I think it's, it, it's, it's a good point to bring up that a lot of these like one mana cards are going to be good because, you know, they each have their different thing. Like, you know, Thoughtseize is going to punish you for like not playing to the board or just punish you for any kind of hand that you have that's like relying on like, you know, your, your deck's a house of cards. Like you need everything to work together kind of thing. It's going to punish you for that. And then I think of Monastery Swiss Beer, I think of like, this is going to punish you for not doing anything, you know, in a positive manner in the format. Like that's going to be the gatekeeper of like, 
you better do something fast because I am going to kill you fast because that card is going to end games very quickly in this format. You know, you, you know, even if it's just mono red, you put it alongside black. There's some, there's some good synergies there. You put it alongside blue. There's some good synergies there. I mean, we had what, like three or four different decks of monastery Swiss spear in it today. Like that card is just going to be very powerful. Uh, yeah. I would say at least that many. Um, I've got, Oh, one, two, three, at least three. Yeah. And I, I think that's going to be a, a big thing. And if you go on the other end, there's going to be some pillars of the format that are more expensive. You know, it's not just the one mana cards. And like one of the ones that jumps into, into my head is stuff like collected company, yeah. you know, a card that's just build around me kind of thing. And then, you know, we mentioned, um, we mentioned another one earlier in Aetherworks Marvel. If that's a thing, you know, you, you, you are, you pretty much have to build around that. You know, you're, you're stuck into, you have to play the energy cards, but going back to collect the company, you know, we talked about reflector mage, right? You know, we talked about that, not uh, with that, not, you know, being legal for very long. That's going to be a very, very good card along a collective company. You know, there's, there's a lot of disruptive elements that you can play off this card that are just very, very good. There's just a lot of good rate creatures to play at that. And it allows you to play at a speed where, you know, you can, you can do it in response to spells. You can do it end of turn. You can do it main phase to try to like get ahead of people. But I think that's going to be a deck that's going to be very, very popular um, early in the format. You know, we'll have to see if it's powerful enough. You know, we still have Spell Queller and stuff like that. When you say deck, you know, I'm not exactly sure what you mean, because there's about 17 different decks I can imagine with Collective Company in them. Right. I, I assume people are going to go, like, kind of the traditional ones, you know, they've been in the past. I agree. I think we'll see a lot of Bant. You know, for my money, I've already built an Elves deck as Collective Company. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like the idea of that. You know, you talked about it earlier. There's eight Lambor Elves, right? You get yeah. Lambor Elf and, uh, and Elvish Mystic. Uh, you do that, and I really, really believe you're going to see Once Upon a Time a lot in this format. And you, you put those 12 cards in your deck, your t- your first turn is going to be very impactful every game. Yeah. You know, you're, you're looking at a super consistent deck. That's a turn one that cascades yeah. on turn two and on turn three and puts yeah. you further and further ahead. Yeah, and like these these cards are still good, like, you know, like later in the game sometimes too, but they're just so unbelievably powerful when you play them on one that they're format defining. You know, they're a pillar of the format, like you say. Um, another big spell that we're thinking about, you know, possibly being a pillow format is rally the ancestors. This is something that dominated a standard format. I didn't play that much during the time, but I definitely, you know, kept up because like, let's be real. No one ever really like stops. Right. You know, I'd still watch coverage. I'd still read starcitygames.com all the time or whatever, but I saw how good rally the ancestors was and how hard it was to hate out that deck. And I think that's going to be one of the, the big winning decks early. Yeah, I could definitely see that, you know, I'm sure there are some upgrades over the years that you can add to that to make it even better. I think Nantuko Husk is just such a sneaky, powerful card being a free sacrifice. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, yeah, you mentioned earlier, we're going to have Stitcher supplier now. And that was a card that was not available to it before. There you go. Upgrades right there. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. I think Stitcher supplier is like quietly one of the better cards printed the last few years. (laughs) Like if you haven't seen the effect it's had on a lot of strategies, it's gotten multiple cards banned itself. Yeah. No, it's just a very, very strong enabler. I, I definitely think we'll see that as far as, you know, you know graveyard decks go. It'll be a, uh, an enabler for them. We do have Narcomoeba and Prized Amalgam. Uh, do we have, we don't have Vengevine. No, we have Haunted Dead, though. Um, if you wanted to go even like super, super deep, though, I, I don't know how you would make it that you still like Arclight Phoenix that can do an impression of uh, Vengevine, but like that, that's going to be kind of weird because you need spells. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, so. But you have creepy. That's a tough one to do. I'm just saying, it's, this is a thing you can do. 
you know, you, like, you have so chill. there's definitely some graveyard payoffs, but we do have also have graveyard mm-hmm. hate, you know, there, there's rest in pieces in RTR blocks. So. Tormod's crypt and Tormod's crypt. Yeah. So, but we'll mm-hmm. right shaman, you know, yeah. so that that's definitely, uh, you know, we should be able to keep those decks in check, uh, to some degree. There's, there's so much to explore with this format. It, it's, it's kind of overwhelming to be honest. Like I, there's yeah. just too many ideas. Yeah, like I, I just keep thinking about like what are other pillars of the format, and you start thinking about, uh, you know, we talked about bigger expensive spells. You start thinking about the big expensive blue cards, and then, like the three that I want to talk about, and like it's it's more like two point five or two with an asterisk because you think about treasure cruise, pretty obvious one. You think about dig through time and how powerful that card is, and then going along with dig through time, I think about torrential gear hulk, oh. like torrential gear hulk when it was in standard. I, I can't stress enough how much I enjoyed casting this card. I actually went and got them out of my like you know my little collection or whatever the other day. So I have like five different torrential girl hooks. I have like normal ones. I have like Japanese ones. I have like foil Japanese ones. I have like uh, what were they called masterpiece torrential gear hooks? Like I loved this card. Like Snapcaster Mage is one of my favorite cards of all time. I love this effect. You never had an instant in that format that was impactful like Dig Through Time is. You, yeah, that is, uh, you know, and and that's the kind of deck that Dig Through Time wants to be in. It wants to be in a very much Drago style deck, same as Torrential Gear Hulk. You know, you get your removal spells, you've got some counter spells. You know, I don't know. Figure out which ones you want. There's plenty of options, but uh, yeah. like you know, the direction the deck is going in. It's just about massaging the numbers and playing it. Yeah, just getting there. But yeah, that just trying to interact with your opponent on every turn up until turn five and then you cast dig through time and then on turn six you torrential gear hulk that dig through time and the game's just over at that point like it's actually over because the other thing is like not only just flashing back this really powerful spell torrential gear hulk ends a game really fast like really also here's another thing um i was going to talk about another possible pillar of the format or a deck that could be popular is like there's a lot of colorless creatures in this format like eldrazi and stuff like that. That's really powerful. We can get into that in another episode. Like I could talk for an hour about that deck. That seems cool. Uh, Turnjul Gearhulk is a five six at instant speed. There's not a lot of creatures that are attacking in this format that that creature doesn't just gobble up. You know it. the The stats of being a five six just work so well against all the creatures in the format. Then you're 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 playing at instant speed, so it works well against all the spells in the format. I mean, the card is very scary to think about. Like it actually having good targets. For an instant, because, you know, during its day, like, the best thing you could hit was, like, Varaska's Contempt, and what was the draw spell called that gave you two energy? It was, like, uh, um... Glimmer of Genius. Yeah, Glimmer of Genius. We got some big upgrades coming in this format. To because... Also, let's not forget Colgon's Command is in this format, and you could be, like, flashing back Colgon's Commands with Gear Hulks, get another Gear Hulk back. I mean, like, I'm just getting, I'm like, who I'm getting chills thinking about all the, the, the fun things yeah. you could do with these cards. And then... It's like it matters what form of control you want to be, right? Like you could just be the, like you said, the the really classic do nothing control deck. Because here's the thing: I think another, like if you want to keep using the phrase pillar of format, is supreme verdict. There is a wrath. There's a four mana wrath in this format that you cannot counterspell. You know, you can't be like you know, spell pierce is legal and the gate is legal. You can't just put these into your creature deck and be like, I'm going to stop them on the turn that it matters, and I'm going to be able to win from there. This thing is uncounterable, right? I, I and gotta, I got to tell you, Tannen. Good. I think Supreme Verdict might be my least favorite card of all time. Are you serious? It's just because like they just tacked on can't be countered on the like yeah. oh so many cards did, back then? Yeah. Literally my favorite thing to do is cast a bunch of creatures and then counter their sweeper so they're dead. 
And I, Dude, I'm a Delver player. Of course, I love that too. <laughs> I just can't. Now I just can't do it. Yeah, and it, it, it like leans you towards a you know a deck. It's like if if you want that, like you want to be that kind of deck that doesn't do anything, and you have all these sweepers. Like maybe Torrential Gearhulk isn't the thing for you. Well, I got I got I got good news. Sphinx's Revelation is legal. And if you've never had that card cast against you, the first time someone does it against you for like four or five, it's gonna feel really bad. Do you remember when when that card was first printed? And it, it wasn't super, you know, hyped during preview season. Right, right. But people were like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty powerful card. You know, Blue Sun Zenith saw some play, and this is better than that. But you still don't mm-hmm. want, like, a ton of this X spell. And so you saw a lot of decks that early in the format that had a one. Or two, and, yeah, know, yeah. And people started playing with it. It's like, well, like, I cast the first one for two, and that was still felt pretty good. And then I, like, I right. drew another one, and then I cast that one for four. And then the game was kind of over. And it's like, what if we just put four in our deck because it, it kept yeah. being so good at, at low numbers? And it, well, then we we're like, oh, now I cast the first one and I always have the second one. Right. Then, the, the, the first one always finds yeah. the second. And yeah, the second exactly. one finds the third one. And then the third one ends the game. Because you yeah. just have and, way too many cards. You start two for one yourself to answer creatures and it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. It, you just get to restart the game and like gain all this life and you get you get you get seven cards back you're back up to like 10 life or whatever and the game doesn't matter anymore like the game is now yeah. over and you know i think about it like when that card was legal in standard ross uh i don't know i i think over 90 percent of the time that i played standard in that format my deck contains sphinx's revelation i think like one or two deck like decks i just didn't play it like you know i played a different deck that weekend because i was like i want to try something different or i thought something was like better positioned etc cetera, etc cetera. and i still just beat my head against the wall of always playing the Sphinx Revelation deck to the point where I remember, I still remember this very vividly. I had like moved to Las Vegas. I was living at Las Vegas time and I was like not really playing magic very much. I was like hanging out with my friends and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember how it came up. I think we were watching coverage one Saturday, uh, all just hanging out. I remember I was sitting there. I'm a name drop. I was like sitting with like Eric Froelich and a couple other people that I was like hanging out with and living with and Jonathan Job, And we were just chatting and we were like watching coverage and they said something about like, oh, you know, we have a we have an open uh, next week. It's the last standard open uh, before rotation. And I kind of just like sat up in my chair and I looked to see where it was. It was in Atlanta and I like got my laptop out and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm booking a ticket to Atlanta. <laughs> and they were like, what? I literally like just right then and there bought a ticket, flew across the country just to play the card one last time. I got to get it. Got to get it in there. Got to get Got to get my fix, man, you know? (laughs) But so, I mean, I mean, we could go on and on. There's so many potential, there's so many potential pillars and build around cards that I don't want to automatically say, you know, Aetherworks Marvel will be there. Emrakul will certainly be there. You know, if there's one thing I I am really confident will be a pillar of the format up to maybe being banned, it's going to be the Sahili Felidar combo uh, because, you know, the pieces blend so uh, seamlessly with other deck, other cards to play a fair strategy and just incorporate this turn for potential turn four win, uh, or just you know turn six win from nothing, so to always keep your opponent o- on edge. But there's a ton of build arounds. You know the cards I'm confident that will be build- pillars are the, dis- the disruption like Thoughtseize and you know the really good removal like a braid and uh, and fatal push. So like those kind of reactive decks, uh, but you know they're still. You know, decisions to be made do you play revelation or dictator time because i don't think you can play both no i don't think so either and i mean like let's put it this way you can maybe play like you know three revelations one dig through time or something i'm sure there's like some number where it's correct to have like one of the other one in your deck or something because the card is just that powerful it's that good and i do think that like 
one of the big blue spells will be a pillar of formula, like, you know, dig through time, treasure cruise, or like revelation. Like, and I do think you, you could say Supreme verdict is like a stress point of the format, you know, like the four mana sweeper that you can't counter. You, you, if you, you can, you spell queller it obviously, but yeah. you know, all those other things. So when you talk about Supreme verdict, you're talking about a unique effect, this universal sweeper that has a significant increase in power level on every single other example of its type in the format. You know, most of the other sweepers we see are either conditional or they cost five plus mana. This one's unconditional, costs four, and then even has that uncounterable upside. So it's just a notch ahead of everything else in its class. So yeah, that's the kind of thing that makes a pillar of the format as far as a reactive card goes. You know, Fatal Push is the best piece of one mana removal in the format. You know, a, a, braid, a braid is the most main deckable removal spell that deals with artifacts things like that yeah yeah exactly and i mean like we said we could just keep going back and forth on these all day like what are the you know what are the pillars of the format but you know one of the questions that i have to ask you ross is how are you casting all these spells you know what's the mana gonna look like in this new format i I, if you recall earlier today when we first started talking about the format the first gatherer search i did was for non-basic lands (laughs) you know what what lands do we have yeah and so ross and i did a little bit of the heavy lifting for y'all uh at home and we're gonna talk about uh, I, 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 I probably going to say most of the non-basic lands that you're going to see in this format, especially the ones that are producing colored mana and the important ones. And let's start with the most important part of this format. All of the shock lands are here. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, yeah. These are st- of, of the sets that we have every single example of the shock lands are the best ones. So you're going to see a lot of these like you have in standard for years now. And you see in modern, you know, these are going to form the core of the format, which means mana bases are going to be somewhat painful. Mm-hmm. That's good for a couple and, Yeah. Speaking of that, we do have some of the actual pain lands, the lands that tap for a colorless or one of, you know, one of these two colors and it deals the damage to you, but we only have the enemy pain lands. But on the good side here, you know, to go along with the shock lands, we have all of the check lands, all of the, you know, dragon skull summits, root bound crags, those kind of things. So, you're looking at like a pretty solid mana base with just those cards to start. Well, you know, th- those are sort of, those are good standard mana bases, right? When we have shock lands mm-hmm. and check lands in standard, you can generally play three colors without a problem. But we're going to want to play tighter curves in this format than we will in standard. Right. And so are those going to be good enough? Do we want to do better than that? M- maybe. And the important yeah. thing to me always is when our curves get tighter, we need our lands, excuse me, to be untapped on the early turns. And so I'm really, I think the fast lands are going to be really important in this format. And I think pain lands are going to be pretty important because they both do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fast lands, you're talking about something like Spire Buff Canal, yes. right? And those two cycles are the cycles we only have the enemy pairs of. So I actually think enemy colored has a significant advantage on friendly colors in this format. You know, for friendly colors, we have like the shadow lands, the port towns, the game trails. The ones that are a little bit worse. Yeah. You know, they have to, you, have to, you have to do a little bit more to make them come into play untapped. And, and yeah. you know, when you think about, well, we have six different dual lands of a certain type, you know, say, say in like Boros, you know, you can play Inspiring Vantage, uh, Battlefield Forge, Sacred Foundry. Uh, what's the red, white check land? Oh, uh... I literally just blanked. And, and you can play needle. Spires. Oh, clifftop retreat. Clifftop retreat, and you can play needle spires. But it, that's another thing with the enemy lands. You get the enemy creature lands as well. And so that's that's you could put twenty dual lands in your Boros deck and be, be like, "Well, my man is going to be great." Call it a deck. But yeah. <laughs> look at uh, and you could play temples. So you could play twenty four dual lands. You know, in your twenty four land deck, twenty four dual lands. But look at how many lands are going to be entering tapped. Your your needle spires always do. Your temple always does. 
your uh, fast land enters tapped on turn four and beyond. And your check land only has the shock lands to look at. So if you're going to want to play check lands alongside shock lands, you're not going to have a lot of room for the other dual lands that exist and the other utility lands if you want your lands to enter untapped. So that's why have I think the another reason the enemy colors are so advantaged is because they can play a higher density of dual lands without hurting the efficacy of the dual lands that they're playing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, we have a couple other really cool things going on here. We have the Conj Tri-Lands that are going along. So if you wanted to play you know, three colors, maybe even four, you, you can do it, but you're looking at even more lands that come into play tapped. Yeah, you know... Are those significantly better than playing more temples? They're pretty powerful. You know, they've historically seen a lot of playing standard. Uh, back when Savage Lands was a thing and Jund, it was really important. You know, Jund's draws when they had turned one Savage Lands were a lot different than without. And, uh, you know, people realized that as for as powerful as that deck was in standard, one of the ways you could attack it was its mana base. People started playing a lot of spreading seas, uh, you know, to make them not cast their spells. We saw the same thing happen with Absent Aggro when it had uh, whatever the Abzan land was. Uh, I'm not going to be able I didn't play yeah. it this time. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to help it's, you on that one. I think it's something step, but I'm not sure. Secluded uh, step? No, that's the white cycle land from Onslaught. Okay. Uh, anyway. <laughs> regardless, like those are pretty powerful lands if your mana base is stretched thin, but ideally you're, you would build your deck in a way that you can play temples instead, but it's nice to know they're there. Like sometimes, Maybe the payoff mm-hmm. is there for certain, especially if you're playing a, a specific con. You know, if you're playing your Siege Rhino deck or your Mantis Rider deck, uh, you know, those lands could co- come come in handy. You know, but, there, oh man, there's so many cool, like, five-color lands, too. We have Spire of Industry. We have Mana Confluence. We have Sliver Hive and Unclaimed Territory for tribal decks. Yeah, tribal decks actually get a pretty big boost here. You know, you have stuff like, like you said, Unclaimed Territory. You also get the new uh, Nightland uh, Tournament Grounds as well. You know, there, there's, a, there's a couple... Yeah, I mean, if you can make, you know, an aggressive, like, Boros Knight deck or, you know, Black, Red, White Knight deck, like, your, your mana can be really good in this format. Yep, and then the, yeah, there's the uh, the other end of the spectrum. What are our payoffs for sticking to one color? You know, we've got Cabal Stronghold in black. Not a super powerful land, unless we've got a really good mana sink. But it does combine well with Urborg, which also exists. Yeah. I must say, Urborg Cabal Stronghold is is a thing that I, I I have to I have to believe that like even maybe some like budget decks, fun decks, or even something that becomes you know competitive is going to be looking to do because it's it it's something fun and extremely powerful if you pull it off. Yeah, you know you're not going to get your payoff until like turn five, six, seven, but you've got Thoughtseize and good removal in black, so mm-hmm. you should be able to build a kind of deck that can get to that, and then you've just got to figure out you know what's my payoff. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got Aether Hub as a five-color land if we want to play Energy, but uh, let's stay on the let's stay on the monocolor ones because there's two really big payoffs that I'm really excited to explore. With one is Mutavault, which was secretly mm-hmm. the best card in Standard during that whole Devotion era, and it was it right. was the payoff like one of the big payoffs for being monocolored was you got to play Mutavault and I mean, Mono Black Devotion played four, Mono Blue Devotion played four, the Azorius Control deck played two or three. We usually played like two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was important. Uh, yeah. The Gruel Monsters deck played two. Once it got to Jund, they played zero, and that was a big hit, losing just a couple Mutavaults. So, you know, what what decks can play Mutavault? I, I love Mutavault, and I own four of them. I'm ready to put this card into some decks. I just like Creature Lands. Yeah. Honestly, like, you know, the the because like it does look like in the games where someone doesn't get blown out in this format, you're going to be grinding. You know, these are this is like a Thoughtseize format. Uh, you know, cards like Mutavault and these and these these creature lands can be pretty good at holding down things like Teferi and Narset. You know, cards are going to be like pretty good in this format. 
you know, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're gonna be able to tack down these uh, these planeswalkers and get those last little loyalty counters off them. It, it's it's gonna keep people from just like tapping out for them on empty boards, you know, where you don't have any creatures. You know, they're like into turn kill your creature, untap to fairy, and you're like, well, at least I can attack this with a mutavolt and progress my board. Yeah, or whatever. Everyone's too, so. super scared about these really powerful planeswalkers that have been printed this year. Creature lands are a great way of checking. Right, rightfully so. Really good way of checking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we did talk a lot about uh, the, the enemy mana. Uh, friendly mana does get one kind of cool little cycle. I don't know how good it's going to be, but you're going to get the cycle duels as well. And they come into play tapped, but they do cycle. Like I could see, you know, if I'm playing a blue-white control deck, I would want one of the blue-white cycle lands or, you know, maybe two. Like it coming into play tapped is not the end of the world, but like later in the game that you can cycle it to, you know, get deeper into your deck. That's no, pretty important. I agree. That, that is important. It's also a way to get lands in your graveyard for things like Deathrite Shaman, mm-hmm. for things like Delirium very easy way to get land. treasure cruise delve so uh yeah i think that's a that's a cycle not to overlook cycling is really powerful that's going to be for your slower decks you know your reactive decks that are playing a high land count because those decks are scared about flooding this is just natural flood insurance uh and th- definitely something to l- look out for and they have land types associated with them so they're going to help check lands oh I, you know i like actually overlooked that i had forgot that they, they actually had land types too because yeah, I was say they were played so little. Like, you know, we played the red-black one in Standard, and then, you know, a couple of the other ones would sprinkle in here or there. Yeah, the, I think there's going to be a, a bit of a, di- a dichotomy. The more aggressive your deck is, the more you're going to want to lean towards fast lands, pain lands, and then you're going to be more enemy-colored. Mm-hmm. The more reactive you are, the more friendly-colored you can be, because you just want to get, get those shock lands, check lands, more colors, uh, and, and potentially the cycling duels as well. Uh, so th- there's you can sort of divide, you know, that looks like you've got all these options and they all look good and you kind of want to try to play all of them, but you've got to sort of divide them in half. And I sort of see that broad stroke cutting the, the mana bases in half. One set of decks goes one way, one goes another. Obviously, we'll see other things sprinkled in, things like uh, Spire of Industry and Aether Hub and, you know, tribal lands and stuff as appropriate. And then my favorite land, the card that I'm going to try very hard to break, Nykthos Shrine of Nyx. Oh, God, I love me some Nykthos. I owe my first SCG top eight to that card. Oh, I love, what deck did you play? Uh, Green Red Devotion. Uh, I was one of yeah. the only two people in the room that knew to play that deck at the tournament because we were. The, it was the first tournament where like it really broke out. Uh, I lost that person in the top eight, and they won the tournament. <laughs> so yeah. big surprise, right? I lost the top eight. But anyway, continue. <laughs> Turn to Garrick, Caller of Beasts. I, I remember that deck. And uh, you know, Burning Tramissary is still there. We've got ways to, to push Devotion. I think you can do it in a lot of different colors. We're getting a lot of ways to uh, to do Devotion, right? Like Dominario is good at it. Um, Thornavel Drain has a lot of cards. And you've got to believe we're going to get some more Devotion cards coming up this year. I mean, everything has been pointing towards it. Yeah, I completely agree. So, you know, what does a red Devotion deck look like with Goblin Chain Whirler? Is it better than Boris Reckoner? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Fanatic okay. Amogus is a really, really powerful magic card. Yeah, you know, Chain Whirler sweeps up all these uh land elves and elvish mystics that i'm gonna mm-hmm. be trying to play uh, yeah you know does mono blue devotion want to play tempest gin probably yeah it's it's probably more aggressive and that's like you're probably what your game plan is going to be than when it was um you know specter or whatever so you, you thought cloudfin raptor topped out at a two three or three four wait till you start playing tempest gin instead of nightfall specter that card's gonna be oh yeah four five Can you, yeah we were talking about that today too like you, you will see some stuff where like i talked about it, it was pretty cool that you might see a morph of like two different standards decks because like you've had mono blue devotion and you've had like mono blue i guess aggro is what you want to call it from last season and they were like different decks 
like Mono Blue Devotion was like very much play to the board with a bunch of creatures, while the last one was like play a threat, play a threat, play, you know, an enchantment on my threat and protect it, you know, play protect the queen. And where do you go from here? Because like each one had its strengths. And then, like you said, like that Mono Blue deck of Cloudfin Raptor might be really good. Yeah. And uh, honestly, like they, they're both kind of, so they both strategically are, are quite different, but for, from the way they're built, they were both 52 shitters and eight cards that the rest of them were trying to enable. You know, Mono- yeah, it was like Fasa. And Master yeah. of Waves. Those are the cards you're playing. Yeah. And you're playing whatever cards that you can to enable them. That, you know, Chai Binder Mains in the main deck, sure, whatever. As long as I can play Fasa and Master of Waves and maximize their power level, you know, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, the, the more recent Mono Blue deck was playing Curious Obsession and Tempest Gym. And just figuring out the rest of the deck to maximize those cards, you know, what if we just took the Curious Obsessions and the Tempest Gins from one of them and put them into Mono Blue Devotion? Yeah, exactly. And like, that just, that's a cool thing that you can do. You know, like, that, that's a great thing you do in this format, and it might be good enough. Can you imagine turn one Cloudfront Raptor, turn two, play uh, Mausoleum Wanderer, because it's better than Judge's Familiar, level or evolve my thing to a one two, obsession it, it's a two three, attack you for two, draw an extra card, have a piece of protection for it, and then, you know, have three devotion already on the battlefield. Yeah. Do we want to play Siren Storm Tamer in our Mono Blue Devotion deck to protect Master Waves? That sounds good to me. Yeah, exactly. And is then, that, is that good to you? Yeah, I mean, like this. This all sounds great. I love Mono Blue. You know, like I, I, have played the boat. I played it in its first standard. I played it, you know, last season. So I'm excited to see, you know, if that deck, you know, comes off. Like, where do you go from there? Because like the thing is, is like every what was the problem we had today. Every list that we would make, we'd be like, all right, man, we're already at 68 cards. <laughs> like, we, need to, we, need, we need to cut this down a little bit. Like, yeah. we, need, we need to make this a little more, a little more streamlined. How, how many lands do I need? Twenty five? Are you sure? I've got can so many to, spells. Can we go to twenty three? <laughs> like, can we cut a, cut a couple? Like, I'll just, I'll just cut it. And and like that's the thing that's that's going to be important too. Is like, uh, you know, we've we've been talking about these lands, and like I was thinking about it, and it's like, I think that's a, that's a good skill tester for this format too. Is like, what lands do you want in your deck? Because you you have options, and you have a lot of options. You know, do I go a little bit slower but more powerful? Do I go with like all fast lands and try to, you know, get under as quickly as possible? And what's the best for my deck and my plan? And that's why I have friends like you. You know, you can crunch all the math for me. I, I don't I don't want to have to do all that. <laughs> I don't be like, Ross, I want to play these cards. Which land should I run? I got you. You know, like like help me out. Because in standards in the past, it it's been easy, right? Like you just use the dual lands they give you in standard. And then in modern and in, and in legacy, like we've kind of been coddled, right? You just have these fetch lands for a few duels or these fetch lands for a few, you know, shocks or whatever it is that you need to get. And your mana base is great, right? Like it's easy. It's great. Like, you know, 10 fetches, 11 fetches, three volcanic islands, you know, three other duels, you know, whatever. We're good to go. Yeah. Pick the, pick and, the right fetch lands. Yeah. Pick the right fetch lands. They all need to be blue or whatever, you know, like, like I own so many blue fetch, uh, fetch lands and stuff just because, you know, I'm a Delver player or whatever, but we don't have that in this format. You know, we're going to have to just make our land drops. You're going to have to draw your mana. You don't get to, you know, search your deck outside of, you know, evolving wilds and fable passage and stuff. So you're going to have to make some really hard decisions in some of these spots. And you're going to see some people get really rewarded for it or not realize this is not the right way to make my deck. And so that's definitely a skill test of this format, especially early. I completely agree. And it's one I'm excited about because I, I think that kind of mana base building is one of my strengths, at least when it comes to deck building. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the best at identifying the most powerful shells. I'm, I usually will identify, you know, a powerful shell. 
but you, you, know, you get rewarded when you identify the most powerful. Uh, but, you know, building the mana base correctly is something that I, I can definitely do. Uh, and I think will be really important, I agree, in the, the early days of this format. So, yeah. And here's another thing. So um, this this format, it's going to be really relevant, right? Like we, we've we've heard about this for less than, you know, almost 12 hours now that we're recording this. And I'm pretty excited about it because I, I have the announcement right in front of me. Um, this is coming to Magic Online in two days from now. We're still in the, the day of the announcement, but it's going to start on Magic Online on October 23rd. You're going to be able to start playing it with you know premier and qualifying events happening really soon after that and on the paper side you're going to see it at a high level really soon as well uh like the pioneer will be one of the first formats for the players tour series in 2020 um happening in february 1st and 2nd february 8th or 9th um the players tour finals april 25 april 25th of 2020 uh will also be uh pioneer and then you're going to start seeing tabletop qualifying events for the players tours using pioneer right after that right in March. So we're going to get, you know, the formats are going to be relatively new. Um, I mean, we'll start to figure things out obviously, but you know, we're going to figure that out, but there's also going to be challenges. Like if, for anybody who's an MTGO player, you know, you have like the popper challenge, the legacy challenge, the modern challenge every weekend. There, there's, there's going to be challenges uh, on, on Sundays, but no playoffs in 2019. So we're at least going to get some like, you know, higher level tournaments to look at you. And um, there's going to be PTQs of this format starting November 1st. Wow. Like, like that, that. Yeah. There's November also a, a mox. Like, two, say like again? two weeks from now, November 1st. Yeah. Like November 1st, two weeks from now. There's also a mox at the end of November, November 23rd of this format. Wow. So it, this is not historic. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, you get to play it one day a week. We might support this. We have, we, we're not even sure what we're doing yet. They are supporting this. this. This is a big time endeavor. They want this to be a thing. Also, um, they were talking about it on Twitter today. Magic Online was, you know, there's only five cards banned. The fetch lands, like we mentioned earlier in the show, they said they're going to be they're going to be very hands on and aggressive with banning in, the, in this format. So, you know, if if something is way too powerful, I'm going to be like, man, we have to wait another month and a half. Um, I'm not sure that that's not how it's going to work out, but it sounds like they're going to be able to just step in and be like, hey, like we're, we're changing this. Yeah. You know, this, this card is too good. We, we let you guys, you know, figure it out. It's too much, you know? So um, I'm excited to be playing it this soon and hearing about this kind of support this fast. And this also leads me to another thing. So I do think this is a format that you're going to want to buy into. You're going to want to learn more about. You're going to want to hear about, hear more about. And we're going to be the best source for that. So make sure you, you follow our podcast and make sure you come back. But I firmly believe that, you're going to see a lot of this at premier play next year at the expense of legacy. Like I really believe that the SCG tour is going to have team events where it's standard modern and this format for the love of God, let that happen. I am just sick of playing legacy. I don't want to ever play it again. I honestly, if they changed the players championship to get rid of legacy this year and just played pioneer in December, I would be ecstatic. I'm ready for it. You, I, you know, I, I am not privy to any of these decisions made by Star City Games, despite working for them. Right. But you can be sure that at any opportunity I'm given to voice my opinion to those that do make these decisions, I will be pushing to have Pioneer essentially replace Legacy. Sorry, people that like Legacy. I think like it's just going to be so much better overall. 
yeah here, here's the thing uh you know i'm pro legacy right it, it's <laughs> oh. it's my thing it's it's yeah it's my thing it's what i'm known for i i love the format i think it's one of the best most pure ways that you can play magic i like it a lot it's not a good format for growth of magic it's just not like you know your average player can't play the format um the decks are absurdly expensive it's hard to find copies of these cards and honestly like how often on twitter do you see before you know before these team tournaments where people are like hey we need a legacy player hey we need a legacy player uh looking to borrow these cards and they'll list like 10 cards any for the deck and i'll just laugh i'm like this person needs 10 cards they're worth four thousand dollars like you know they need six duels and like you know some other card that's randomly 150 dollars because it's on the reserve list and we're not going to get into that like that all that's fine i don't care you know i don't care i don't have opinions about that stuff but i think for the growth of the game um, the numbers that you see at these events, like I guarantee you this, I guarantee you this. If the first team tournament that Star City Games has where they use standard, modern and uh, pioneer, that the first one that they do, if it's at a decent location, it breaks a record for teams. I guarantee it. It's going to be the biggest one that you've seen because people are going to be excited about the new format. Uh, you're going to have multiple multiple decks that are non-rotating, you know, modern and, 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 and pioneer. And then you're also going to have standard, which like these decks aren't super expensive in comparison, you know? So like the barrier for entry is lower. Yeah. And I think this is just a good thing overall for, for the growth of the game. I was at my local game store today at the middle of the day on a Monday and people actually just came into the store to hang out, talk about and pick up cards for this format already. Like there's already hype. Yeah, it's it's honestly kind of incredible. You know, w- when Modern yeah. was announced as a format, it was replacing Extended for the Pro Tour in Philadelphia, and they announced it I think three weeks out, but maybe only two. Um, I remember I had just started testing actually for th- that tournament, and I spent a night testing. You know, uh, Demir Fairies against Azoria Stoneblade because we knew those were going to be the two best decks. Uh, and we figured out very quickly that the Stoneblade deck was better. And then that night or the next day, they announced, uh, I think it was that night because he used to, you know, make the announcements at midnight. Uh, they, it was like, you know, minutes after we were done testing for the night, they announced, oh, by the way, Extended is not going to be the format. It's going to be this new modern format. Here's a 30 card ban list. It's everything 8th edition and up. Good luck. <laughs> and- yeah. And like, Extended was like weird, right? Like it was like kind of like modern, but it had this weird rotation where it rotated every like three years or so. It was just, I mean, like no one could yeah, keep they, up. They kept changing their minds. It used to rotate very, not that often and it got too big and Thopter Depth sort of ruined it. Uh, and so they changed it into basically double standard. And then that wasn't really a fix and Stoneforge Mystic and Jace ruined that. And so they just sort of realized that the extended wasn't fixable and they needed a non-rotating format. And I think they like sort of slapped together modern pretty hastily. Uh, I have no inside information about this at all, but this is just my you know feeling from the way it went down. But the you know the announcement of modern was sort of first met with, oh, this is kind of weird that they just changed the format for a pro tour this close, and we were, uh, you know players were a little bit une- uneasy about it, but sort of understood where it was coming from because we all saw the writing on the wall of what was going to happen. You know, it ended up not being great anyway because they missed so many powerful things in the initial ban list from modern. Uh, but it was at least interesting to try to explore a new format. And then we didn't really get to see a lot of modern on other, on the competitive stage for a while, you know, they played it at worlds. They might've had another, a couple handful of grand prix or something in between. I don't really remember, but we didn't really see a lot of modern 
the everyday players, the PTQ level players until that first PTQ season in January. Uh, so, which was, you know, four months after that pro tour. So there wasn't a lot of immediate hype around the format. Um, you know, there, there were talks for sure. Uh, but nothing, it's just not the same as it was now. And, you know, maybe that's the rise in social media. You know, this was 2011, you know, before Twitter got really big, you know, as it was getting big. Uh, and now we just have, you know, a larger community, a more connected community. And we have this platform on which everybody just gets to sort of spew their hype into the void. Uh, and in this case, we're all seeing it and maybe it was there before, but we just, it was just, you know, uh, muted by our lack of uh, connection. But I, I'm really like, it's just been all day, you know, and we're, we're talking about it. We just made this podcast about it sort of on a whim. You know, this is less than 12 hours after I found out this was a format. We're, you know, not, not only I've brewed about 20 decks, <laughs> I mean, I am set to play it for the first time tomorrow within 24 hours. And we're, you know, recording and talking about it within 12 hours. And you will be the first widely, widely consumed content on it. You know, like the first, like, you know, some people have done like some streaming with it in free form and there's been like, you know, other things, not to take anything away from that, but this will be the first like big foray into the format. That's pretty cool, right? No, it's great. I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to continuing to explore this format and talking about it with you every week. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that too. And um, I know we've kind of just like, this has been a very general you know, idea of what's going on, because honestly, there's a lot of things we don't know yet. You know, like we haven't got to like physically play the format. Um, we're theorizing a lot. We haven't even really gotten into decks yet, which, you know, come back next week. We're going to definitely start getting into like card choices, deck choices. We're going to start. I mean, yeah. the format's going to move fast. Like we're, we're going to figure gonna things a, out. We're going to have a deck dump from yeah. TGO by then, right? Yeah, we, we, we should. Here's the thing. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday night. Uh, this won't necessarily be our set night because let's say the deck dump happens on Tuesdays, then we're definitely going to try to make the sure that the, the cast is the night of, you know, we're going to try to make sure, it, you know, it goes around our schedules. We don't want to be like putting out a cast and then the deck dump happens, the, you know, the literal next morning. So, so we definitely don't want to miss that. So we're going to make sure. Um, so tentatively a week from today, we don't know hundred percent yet. We'll try to figure it out whenever um, that happens with MTGO. We'll have, you know, you guys uh, responses. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people. Um, I saw, what was it? Um, Ryan Overturf and Todd Anderson were playing against each other, I think, while streaming today and doing some cool things. So, like, they're going to have some info from people with that, too. I think I'm going to go watch those VODs once we're done here. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, like, well, I, that's my plan when I get into bed. I always like to, you know, watch something for, like, 30 minutes to kind of wind down or whatever. That, that's my plan. I'm, I'm going to go uh, consume some more content of this, of this format because I just haven't gotten enough yet. Um, but before we go, there was one more thing um, that we wanted to talk about, one more thing that I, I wanted to ask you. Ross, what decks or cards are you like, ex like what ex what's exciting you the most right now going into the format? Like what what's getting you going? You know, you're like this card I want to brew with the most specific card or was there like a deck you like missed and you, you get to do it now? Uh, so I, the, as for a specific card, I think it's one I mentioned earlier and that's Nykthos, Shrine to Nyx. You know, mm -hmm. over the years, I've become attuned to mana being so central to how magic operates. And so I want to figure out how can I both consistently cast my spells in terms of getting the right colors, and then how can I break the one land per turn, you know, rule of magic? How can I generate extra mm -hmm. mana? And Nykthos is such a powerful way to do it. And we've got lots of different things that can help enable devotion strategies, you know, lots of good X spells. And I I'm excited. And, you know, I, I think you can do it in almost any color. So uh, I'm definitely going to be looking to, uh, you know, brew with that card uh, while everybody else is trying to figure out their three and four and million color mana bases. I'm just going to play a ton of basics and... Uh, and just beat them up. 
Yeah, just beat him up. Yeah. I think for me, uh, I'm excited about a, a deck and a card. Uh, I, I'm excited about playing. I know this sounds weird, but I'm pretty excited about playing like just do nothing blue white control again. I really enjoyed that deck in standard a lot. Like, you know, I might even, you know, dust off my elixir of immortality kind of thing. Just just make people miserable, you know, uh, when I'm playing. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll have to see. There's there's definitely some other decks in here that I have like fond memories of. And that's another cool thing about this format we didn't touch on earlier. It's like if you have a standard deck that you really liked over the last couple of years, you get to bring it back. Or at least, you know, get that nostalgia of a deck pretty close. And, uh, I, you know, I definitely mentioned this. Go ahead. There, there's so many. I, go on. I just, I was just exclaiming. Yeah. And I'm really excited about casting Turns of Gearhulk again. I, I, I miss my little buddy. Uh, I love that card a lot. It's really good. And uh, I, I can't wait to, you know, flex on people with just all the different versions of the card that I've got. I mean, like, which one, you know, it's like, um, you know, the little box with all your watches in it. And you're like, what, which nice watch do I want to wear today? You know, I'm just gonna like open my box and be like, which gear hole, just like dusting them off, you know, like which one am, am I gonna, am I gonna be casting on turn six today? So I'm, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to and really excited about that one. But um, also if you want to, just in case people hear it a little early or they, they might hear it after the recording of your stream tomorrow, um, do you want to give us a little a little taste of what's going to be going on? On uh, versus live, yeah. Uh, so uh, we're we got some some nice decks. One of mine is Nykthos. I'm going to be playing a Green Devotion deck, uh, and so I mean you'll probably be seeing this after that. Uh, so the the VOD gets replayed 6 p.m. on Tuesdays. We get, we're live from one to four, uh, and then it'll go up on YouTube on Friday. So you can go to the Star City Games YouTube channel and check it out there uh, for our Thursday shows. They'll, they go up the following Monday. And if we get a strong response from playing Pioneer tomorrow, we might we had planned to do Modern on Thursday because we've got a Modern Open coming up this weekend. If we get a strong enough response, we'll just do Pioneer again on Thursday. So if yeah. you really want to see Pioneer content, you know, get at us. Either, you know, tune in if you can, watch the VOD if you can. Uh, and you know, get at us on on Twitter and get at Cedric on Twitter in particular. Oh, he really likes it when you when you at him on Twitter. So yes, make sure you do. Exactly. Make sure you at Cedric Phillips. That he really really likes that. Um, I, I'm going to be glued to my chair tomorrow. I'm going to be watching. You'll probably hear me say something ridiculous in chat or whatever. You know, like usual. So yes. um, I have a feeling you're going to have a pretty big turnout tomorrow if it's possible. Like people are going to want to see Pioneer. They're going to see the the new kid on the block. Uh, pretty excited about that, but. Ross, if people wanted to find you, hear more about you, like, you know, things you have to say, where would they do that? Best place to do that is on Twitter. I am at Ross Hunneds. That's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, so, uh, you, know, you can ask me questions on there. I usually try to respond to people. Uh, and that's the best way to get my thoughts. I'll be tweeting out about podcast, about versus live, about, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure I'll get some sweet brews, uh, up on Twitter as well. Uh, you do write weekly for Star City Games as well, right? Yes. I also a weekly column. God, you are way better at this than I am. Uh, <laughs> I have some experience. Yeah. You know, I, I do it twice a week, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, you know, when I'm sitting in the Carnox chair in the studio, I'm in that mode. <laughs> now I'm at home. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a different, it's different. So I have to get used to that, but, uh, it's definitely different. My my column goes up on, uh, on Tuesdays at 11 AM on starcitygames.com, uh, on the premium side. And you can read there. Uh, my, my column this week, uh, is about modern because I wrote it before this announcement, but I'm sure uh, I'll be bringing you some pioneer content as well in the coming weeks. 
I have a feeling you're going to be doing a lot of that in the coming weeks. Um, for anyone who wants to get, catch more of me, uh, I'm at the Tannen Grace on Twitter. Uh, I do have a Facebook as well. You know, I do interact stuff on there. I don't write for uh, anyone just yet, but there are some things in the work. I might be doing that in the future because I'm pretty excited about Frontier. If you haven't gotten that as like the overall gist of the show, you know, we're both very excited. I like to have new formats that haven't been figured out and stuff. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. But you know what? We really appreciate everyone listening to this episode. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can tag, you know, either me, Ross, or the podcast itself. Uh, it's under it's either under, it's under both Cast Pioneer and Pioneer Cast on Twitter. Um, so you can find us on there. Give us a follow. Make sure you at the podcast. We'll try to respond as much as we can on there uh, with your ideas. You know, if you have like, hey, I got this great deck idea. I, w- I, w- I want to hear what you guys want to hear about. It. We'll talk about it on the show. Hey, I'm really interested in this card. What do you think of these interactions? You know, things we might have missed. Because let's be oh, real, yeah. we're going to miss a lot. This is a big format to dive into. There are so many cards and so many sets. And so we're excited that you're excited. So tell us, you know, what you're looking forward to the most. And maybe we'll be talking about it next week when we start to dive into the cards in the decks more of this and we have a little more information. But until then, thanks for listening. I'm Tanner Grace. He's Ross Merriam. See you all next week.